this summer. We're at tonight's entertainment. Can you avenge evil? Where is he? And not become it. That's all part of the plan. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now threads at TFR Batpod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for the show, you can shoot us an email. That email address is tfrbatpod at gmail.com. My name is Eric, and I am your host... And I am joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you, my, my friend? I'm doing good. I had to bite my tongue when you said threads. I'm like, threads? What the hell is going on here? And I'm surprised you didn't stumble a little bit when you came across that. That kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, kind of like the app itself kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, it's it's good to be here. Thank you for having me again. And uh, let's uh, let's get right into this one. Um, I don't need to spend any more time talking about your your intro with the threads stuff. Well, uh, you know, it's going to kill Twitter. So, you know, I figured I would get ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. But if you do have a, a threads account, go over there and follow us. We are newly on that platform. Uh, but that is not what we're here to talk about today. We have a huge anniversary to discuss today, Joe. Uh, this one, this is one of those ones, and I don't know if you'll if you'll get what I mean here, but this is this is one of the ones where I kind of feel nervous about when it comes to an anniversary like this because so many shows have talked about the movie that we're going to talk about today, and it's such a juggernaut of a film. It's almost like, well, what can you say that hasn't been said? What can you, you know, what can you possibly touch on that thousands of people haven't talked about before? But I feel like it would be a huge glaring empty space in our catalog. If we didn't talk about this movie, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's also kind of exciting because we have, because we're a newer podcast, we get to just really talk about this for the first time, which is fun. And I will, I know I have something that people do not, um, I'm going to say it right now, before we even introduce the movie, Batman kills puppies in this movie. Okay. I'm sorry. That's something that nobody brings up and I'm going to bring it up. Batman kills dogs in this movie. And that's more horrific than any murders he's done in any okay. other movie. Well, well, we will get into that. Um, but without any further uh, preamble, because you guys already know what we're going to talk about, because it splashed all over the, the podcast app you're listening to. It's on Twitter. It's on everywhere that we have an account threads. It's all there. Of course, we are talking about the 15th anniversary 
of what some people consider the greatest comic book movie of all time. And that is, of course, The Dark Knight. All right, Joe. So, uh, 20, 23, was it 20? So, yes. 15 years ago this week, officially July 18th of 2008 in the United States, The Dark Knight was released and unleashed upon the world. Of course, directed by Christopher Nolan and starring so many huge names, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Morgan Freeman, and of course the late, great Heath Ledger in a just an epic role as the Joker. Uh, Joe, can you believe it's been 15 years since the phenomenon that was this movie? It is pretty crazy. And so I guess, what was it last year? We covered Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. for its 10th year. That even seems so crazy to me that that was 10 years old. But now we're already at um, 15 years for the Dark Knight. It's it's really hard to believe because this was, to me, kind of the start of me really getting into movies mm-hmm. like I am now. And so... I don't feel like it's been 15 years, but I, I remember this so well as like the beginning of really being amped up for a movie. Um, Batman Begins was a little bit of a different story because it kind of caught me by surprise where this one, we all kind of followed this one. No matter where we were with Batman Begins, everybody knew what was happening with this one. And I, I can't believe it's been 15 years. Well, yeah, and most people, you know, most people will tell you that there's been two instances of, well, two major instances of Batmania, quote unquote. And that would be, you know, of course, 1989 with the Michael Keaton Batman movie and 2008 with The Dark Knight. And it's so funny that in 1989, you know, that was a launch of a franchise. And Batman Begins was the relaunch of, of this franchise, but it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But this movie did not whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There was not a place you could go in 2008 where Batman was not present. I mean, the Dark Knight logo was everywhere. It was splashed on billboards, buses, you know, park benches. It was everywhere. Um, The trailers were all over television that year. It was a little bit of a different time where people actually did watch network uh, TV all the time. And you had trailers, you had TV spots. Um, I can't remember. Were there tie-ins for fast food for the Dark Knight? Oh, I don't. Jeez, I don't remember. I don't think so. I can't remember either. I can't think of any. I mean, maybe. I wonder if this was the time when like Seven Eleven was doing like the Slurpee cups, but I I know they did that for like Iron Man Two. Um, which was 2010. So I, I, I don't know, know but I, I, I would have remember. to do some, I would have to do some investigation on that, but yeah, I mean, everywhere else it was there. Um, strangely enough, you know, Batman begins, got a video game and 
I mean, it was actually a pretty decent video game. I had a lot of fun with that game, but this one and the Dark Knight Rises did not. Now, I don't know if that's a Christian or not a Christian belt. I don't know if that was a Christopher Nolan thing or or what, but it's just so so strange that the first one got a game and the next two didn't. Um, But otherwise, I mean, again, you couldn't go anywhere, especially in the summer of 2008 without running into something, the Dark Knight. Um, And of course, you know, I was born in 89, but I really didn't have, you know, I wasn't of an age where I could have participated in Batmania, but I was fully in, in 2008. I think to this day, this film is the most excited I've ever been for a movie. I could not wait to see this movie and spoilers. It did not disappoint. I mean, this is still, I don't know where it ranks. It's hard to say, but it's still one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, so let's go back in the Wayback Machine, Joe, and tell me about like the lead up to you seeing this movie and tell me about opening. Did you go opening night? And if you did, you know, what was your experience seeing the movie for the first time? Well, so it's funny leading up to the movie, I had a I was I was in a really weird time in my life um when this came out. So I was anticipating the movie, uh, definitely. I remember the viral marketing, which was just unbelievable. But I wasn't, like, nose deep in it. I was just kind of, like, witnessing it from afar a little bit. And I got to say, I I think I was more amped for Dark Knight Rises because just the things that were going on in my life, whether it be my age or just things going on uh, personally, whatever it may have been. But with this, I remember the hype around this movie was weird because the hype was there before the movie came out. It wasn't like the movie came out and people were like, you got to go see this movie. You got to go see this movie. That was there, but it was more, okay. All the buzz that happened before the movie was accurate. You need to go see this movie. But I knew I also didn't want to go see this movie, uh, Thursday night because I didn't even go Friday night because this was pre Mm -hmm. reserve seating. So you had to get there early and get a good seat. I didn't want to deal with all that. I got a ticket for Saturday morning. I waited till Saturday morning to go. And I'm so glad I did. Um, I do still remember someone's cell phone going off during the movie. And I remember being <laughs> pissed. Um, I'll never forget that that happened during the movie. Um, thing, like Because it was such a, an impactful movie. I still remember being mad about that to this day. But. I, yeah, I, I actually restrained myself, um, to wait till Saturday morning, which I couldn't even imagine doing that now. But, uh, I mean, I was 22 at the time, uh, working, you know, stuff going on. And I was like, I really don't want to deal with the, the crap from Thursday night or Friday night. Cause it was, it would have been a midnight showing Thursday night. This is not, you know, this was before the preview screenings of three in the afternoon and seven at night, that kind of stuff. So you would have had to either go at midnight or go Friday night um, for the main opening. And I, I just didn't do that. I waited till Saturday morning. And I just remember the anticipation with all the the talk about the Joker and, and Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker and, you know, him passing away, I think. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but I think that did create more buzz around this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, good or bad, there was nothing, you know, you can't, you can't determine why that was or if that was fair or what, but... But let's be honest, it was there. And 
this movie just became the event that everyone wanted to go see Batman fan or not. And I don't, cause I was, I'm the same as you. I was, I was three years old in 89. So I don't know if the buzz was the same for that as this, where it was like buzz before the movie or when that movie came out, it was when Batmania really took off. I don't know how that worked then, but for this, it was just everywhere. Even before anyone saw this movie and you knew it was going to be a monster. Yeah, well, I think there were a few things, you know, that really factored into it. You know, there, of course, the death of Heath Ledger, um, I do think contributed to a lot of curiosity in people. Like even people mm-hmm. who weren't into superhero movies or didn't like Batman, you know, they were so curious to see what a lot of people, you know, there wasn't one more role that, um, that Heath had after this film. Uh, that was completed actually by a few other actors. Um, and I cannot remember the name of that movie, but it's a long title. Um, Do I want, wasn't he playing? Like no, no, it was, um, no, it was, it was a singer no, though, it wasn't was, it? Um, something Imaginarium. Um, I, I'd have to look it up, but either way, you know, this is widely considered his, his last significant role. Um, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted to see what this, you know, what he brought to this role in his quote unquote last performance. And so I do think that drove a lot of it. I do think the the high regard, the well received Batman Begins also helped, even though a lot of people didn't see it in theaters. Yes. I think a lot of people caught it afterward and it did have a good it, it had a good track his uh, track record. So I think people were interested uh, Christopher Nolan was kind of on the rise at that time. So, and then, I mean, look at the cast as well. I mean, outside of Heath Ledger and Christian Bale, you just have an all-star cast in this film and the marketing for it was fantastic. I mean, there was, um, this film had one of the viral marketing aspects. If I remember correctly, where they had like things on the, on the internet with the website where the Joker took over the website and things like that. Um, there was a great one with the Joker phone mm-hmm. call that was terrifying and it's hard to find that you can kind of find it online. I remember looking for it a couple times because that was what sold me on this. And I don't even remember if it was Heath's voice. I'm assuming it was, but that was one of the things that I remember loving. And, and just to, um, so it was the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Or Parnassus. Um, I wasn't crazy. He did do a Bob Dylan movie called I'm Not There the Year oh, Prior. The year, okay. <laughs> so I didn't just I didn't just make that up. I, I was wrong, but I, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, and then sadly, after the whole Joker viral marketing, it did shift to the Harvey Dent stuff, I think, after Heath Ledger passed away. Which, I, I mean, yes... Th- it probably could have done yeah, that. Yeah, anyway. and that's what I was thinking because you did have you did have Harvey Dent that was a big player in the movie as well. So, um, mm-hmm. so which kind of makes sense too because two thousand eight was an election year. So you, yeah, oh, so I you had that kind of political marketing too with Dent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, just my memories. I remember, unfortunately, I went to I went to my hometown theater to see this, which is a very small theater, and it's not an IMAX screen or anything like that. So I didn't get that, you know, how Nolan probably intended viewing. <laughs> um, 
but <laughs> I had a big crowd with me, you know, a lot of friends because I was in college at the time. So we, we got a lot of, a, a pretty good crowd together and went and we had a blast with this movie and it was with a great crowd. Everybody was excited. You could feel a buzz going into the movie. So yeah. And we had no phones go off. So I had a little bit of uh, an advantage over you, Joe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I but guess yeah, so. I mean, and even after this movie, I mean, the buzz did not stop because this movie kind of broke the mold a little bit, which it took years for another one to kind of break through like this one did. But this movie had so much awards contention. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at the IMDb, IMDb page, the Dark Knight had 164 major award nominations that just that just does not happen for comic book movies i mean to still today it's hard for a comic book movie to get that kind of recognition it's become a little more um you know prevalent but i mean this one again it broke the mold i think this was the first comic book movie to win a major award with heath ledger winning the oscar for best supporting actor um it's the one that, what do they call it? Above the line. Mm-hmm. I think that's. Yeah. And I think, and we can talk about this if you'd like, I, I know you, you don't get into the, the award season as much as I do, but I think if this movie releases today, it wins a lot more than it did in 2008 or 2009 as it were. Yeah, I think, I think you're right because I think most people credit this film for broadening people's horizons when it comes to uh, awards and uh, comic mm-hmm. book films. And, you know, they always say that this is the reason they expanded the best picture noms to include more films, right? I mean, this is, I don't know if it's ever been proven that that's the case or not, but it did happen the following year, didn't it? I believe so, yeah. And a lot of people do credit this film for for why the Academy now has 10 nominees for best picture. Yeah. Yeah, And in my opinion, it should not to get on a tangent, but there are a ton of films, be it in the, in the animated category or superhero or whatever every year that should be, you know, recognized for how well they're made. So, uh, you know, that's Mm -hmm. another feather in the cap of the dark Knight. Um, but I do want to talk about the story a little bit because this is such a story that, I mean, it's just so radically different from everything else that we get. There's a lot of visceral dark tones in this movie. I mean, there's, there's story beats of anarchy and terrorism and, you know, real world issues that you just don't see sometimes in a comic book film. And I know there's that whole argument of, you know, grounded versus fantasy with comic comic book movies. And and that's not what I want to turn this into, but I don't know at the time when this movie came out, you had, we were still kind of, it was seven years removed, but we were still kind of in that post nine 11 world. Wouldn't you say like we were still in that, the after effects of that. And this movie just it had such a visceral yeah. feel to it of, of, someone taking over a city and someone, you know, just threatening in the way that the Joker threatened in this movie. Um, I don't know. It's, it, 
I think it hits differently than a lot of comic book movies hit today. And I don't know fully how to, you know, align that and say why, but I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, what do you, what do you think the difference is between a movie like this and your more modern, uh, very high fantasy style comic book movies? Well, I guess I think it just at that point, they always say that like the Nolan trilogy was the start of comic films being taken seriously. Mm. And I, I think it's more taken in a real world Mm -hmm. setting more than, you know, because I think saying it, taking it seriously could be a little facetious. I think it's more what would happen if these characters existed in our world where now, excuse me, I think sometimes we like to put the fantastical elements and say, what would happen if those fantastical elements existed in our world? Nolan takes a character like Batman and says, okay, this guy could really theoretically exist in our world. How can I present it that way? And like, don't get me wrong. There's still some fantastical elements in this. Like it's heightened reality is what they call it. Right. And, but, but it makes you buy into it because you don't. And this is, again, we're going down these roads that everyone has discussed, but I think it's, it's all common knowledge that this is, a good film that just so happens to be a film about Batman. Like you, you could take Batman out of this film, take the costumes out of this film and it could still be the same type of film, I think is the theory behind what Nolan was doing. And it's just for nowadays, I think we want the fantastical element more where then this was such new ground that it was, it bought in a lot of the non-comic book mm. fans, but also really got the comic book fans to enjoy it for the costumes and the the characterizations and all that too. It had the best of both worlds in that regard. Where I think nowadays, I think the the general audience is good with this. Where I think now, because I even the comic book fans that loved this we're kind of like, okay, we got that already. You perfected that already. Can we now go and explore more comic booky, more fantastical? And I think that's why there's that argument between this and Batman Begins is I think everyone kind of agrees Batman Begins is more stylized, more fantastical. Um, One of my nitpicks of The Dark Knight is it doesn't quite feel like the same city that we got in Batman Begins. But it's just, it's a different movie. And I like that they're different. Like it's one of those, like I could take it as a nitpick, but it also doesn't bother me because it's its own movie. It's a sequel, but it's still its own film. He's doing something completely different. with well, this film. And what's interesting about what you just said about how different the city looks. And I think it's very clear from the very start of the dark Knight which direction that Christopher Nolan is heading. Because at the end of Batman Begins, you very well could have gone into a more fantastical comic booky Batman. I mean, the end mm-hmm. of that film sets it up, but it's, it's open. I mean, you could go either way. Um, but the difference in the way the city looks at the beginning of the dark Knight, it just, I think it's an example of, okay, this is, 
a very real world or hyper realistic as you as you kind of said earlier situation and Christopher Nolan didn't look back from there and I don't know that I would have wanted him to if that makes sense because he made the movies that he was suited to make I completely agree and we got that in Batman Begins and we don't need mm-hmm. it again we got that you know the narrows we got the the stylized look we got the and there were sets built for that so it had its own look to it it didn't look like a real world city where now it's like okay we did that now let's put batman in the main part of gotham because you could like okay that was you know the narrows the bad parts of gotham where arkham is and all that for the most part now let's put him in for lack of a better term gotham proper yeah. <laughs> like this is the city now this is where the the civilized quote unquote people live. This is where the the rich people live, the everyday people live, not the you know the rundown section of uh, of Arkham and and all that. So it's a different dynamic. You're getting two different films. This is this is a great example of a standalone film that is still a true mm. sequel because there are people that saw this movie and had no idea it was a sequel. There are people that saw like had no idea Batman Begins existed when they saw this. They then went back and found it after telling people they saw this movie. Like I had family members that were like, Oh, the dark Knight was so good. I'm like, Oh, did you see Batman Begins? They're like, what is Batman Begins? (laughs) Like, you don't have to like, it helps, but you don't have to have seen Batman Begins. No, like it's a great standalone movie. But I mean, I told you, I, I couldn't watch this without watching Batman Begins. I watched Batman Begins three nights ago before I watched this. Like, I, I just love watching the two of them together. But you don't. And, and what's funny about that is I do think you need the prior knowledge of Begins and this film for The Dark Knight Rises. Which I think is such a masterful thing, because when you when you look at Nolan's um, approach, mm-hmm. Where he never, he never, like he, he says he thought about sequels, but it wasn't, I'm going to save that for a sequel. He always had stuff in the back of his mind, planning wise, but he never left anything off if he wanted to use it for this film. And so I think that's so cool that you have two standalone films for the most part, but then the third one ties into both so Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. You you're right. You can't you can't just watch The Dark Knight Rises. You need both films. It's not just a sequel to The Dark Knight. It's a sequel to both, which is really cool. It is, and and that's what I do love about this trilogy. As as much as you know, because of course revisionist history has put smudges all over this trilogy. But whatever, you know, people do that. Yeah, and I will not stand for any of that. I'm sorry. Like I, as much as I love Ben Affleck and love, um, you know, Robert Pattinson and love every other interpretation of Batman, you know. You know, everything we've gotten since then between the Snyder stuff and and Reeves, I still will not use that against these films. I love. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the biggest part that I love about this trilogy as a whole is that I get a complete cinematic Batman story. And I've said that before, and you know, some people don't want an ending, and this is not to go into rises, but some people don't want an ending to Batman, but when it's in a in a film form where you do have an actor that is going to eventually age out. I love the fact that I have a trilogy. I can watch three films and get a complete Batman story. Love it. Completely. Um, Completely. And this, and who knows if we will ever get that. Absolutely. Um, But to kind of go back to the movie itself, 
we were kind of talk about talking about the beginning, and that's something I do want to mention um, because Christopher Nolan has a habit of filming an opening big mm-hmm. IMAX sequence, and that sequence. Well, it started. It did with start this. with this, and then the, yeah. it's the bank heist with the Joker, and that sequence apparently, unbeknownst to to me, um, was viewed by everyone a ton of times before the movie came out, and I think that's the case for you, right, Joe? So, um, are you aware it 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 played before I Am Legend? In the theaters. Yes, which I did not see in the theaters. Either did I. But when the Blu-ray for Batman Begins came out. Now remember, Batman Begins originally was released on... <laughs> this is my nerdiness coming out. It was originally released on DVD and HD DVD. Mm-hmm. When the Blu-ray finally came out, I believe it came out a few months prior to this. And the the prologue was included on that disc. Yes. And I watched that thing on repeat over and over and over again. And yes, I've heard people say it for years that they watch the prologue so many times that they end up like, I'll be honest, I sometimes forget it's part of the movie or I like zone out while I'm watching it because I've seen it so many times. But it's still amazing. Like, I don't want to take away from that because it's it's. It's See, ridiculous. and this is something, but, yes. this is something, especially with Christopher Nolan, because I know that he does this now. I intentionally do not watch these prologues before the movie comes out. Well, so this is the only one I know of that was actually released on right. disc. So like we could repeatedly watch it with the dark Knight rises. I only saw it the one time in theaters and that was right. It. See, but with this, it was like, it was worn out. Yeah. And, and this, I don't, I didn't have the Blu-ray before the Dark Knight before the Dark Knight came out of Batman Begins. I had this, I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember it. I had this big nice collector's edition DVD set of Batman Begins. Oh, I with the booklet yeah. that included The Man Who Falls. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I have. It. I had that and I never got the Blu-ray for Batman Begins. I still have the HD DVD. I, I won't wow. get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't I didn't have that Blu-ray, so I never saw the prologue for this movie until I was sitting in the theater. So I hear people, you know, that watched it so many times. I even hear people say, I don't even watch it, I just go to chapter two on the disc. Yeah, no, I don't And that. I'm like I, I which I think is an advantage of not having seen it before the film, but it just feels like such an mm-hmm. integral part of the movie that I could never do that. So yeah. I don't know. It's such a strange dynamic, but that after that, that lesson learned because I heard about it so much afterwards, I never watch Nolan's prologues that he does. Like I know people will go mm-hmm. to certain movies specifically because they know they're getting the Nolan prologue before that movie. Like I think I can't remember what movie he did it for, for tenant, but there was a movie. A lot of people went to the movie just to see that prologue. And then they left before the movie started. And yeah, I don't remember the Tenet one. I did the Dunkirk mm-hmm. one. The Dunkirk one actually wasn't the prologue. It was like a little preview, but I did do that. Um, gotcha. That's the only other one I've done, I think. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, not to focus on that, but yeah, I do I do love that sequence, and I can't believe there's people out there that skip it now. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, without, you know, because this is an anniversary, we're kind of just talking about memories and, 
and the legacy of the film. So I guess like, do you have a favorite part of this movie? And I know that's like picking a favorite between your children, Joe, but do you have a favorite part of the dark Knight? Oh man, you really caught me off guard with that. I didn't even, I don't think I've ever even tried to think about that. Wow. If you, I, if you want to think about it, I do really, have one readily available. Well, well, this is going to sound really terrible mm. of me, but I got to say it, the balls to kill Rachel. <laughs> I did not see that coming in the theater. Yeah. I was shocked. It, yeah. I'll agree with you there. Uh, is that a favorite for you? I I think that's just because that's what I remember so vividly um the most about like being in shock while watching this movie was that had the most impact on me I think cuz I did not expect cuz I think we all just expected Harvey to get it and that's how he becomes Two-Face. I think it was a brilliant um Bait and switch deception mm-hmm. there. Yes, it was so good. And this but I and mean, the setup honestly, of that with Joker giving swapped the wrong swap address. addresses. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, it's great. I think I, my favorite part's got to be the interrogation. Um, That's a great pick. That, yeah, I'll let you go. And then, so, if, unless yours is the no, same. No, it's not. Um, my favorite part of the film, and I have like a one and one B, um, but my favorite part, I would say, is it doesn't have anything to do. Well, it does have something to do with them, but the Joker or Batman are not in the scene. It's the conversations between Bruce Wayne and Alfred about the uh, the thief in Burma. Mm-hmm. Because Bruce is trying to get an understanding of Joker. He's trying to use his, yeah. you know, his detective skills to figure out this criminal and find out what he wants. And I love that it takes Alfred to explain to him you know, this man has no motivations and he perfectly sums up who the Joker is as a character by telling this story about the thief in Burma who was stealing these rubies and giving them away because he just thought it was good sport. There was no criminal motivation. And I just love that explanation so much. And I know that's like, it's nothing to do with a huge Batman action scene or Joker on screen doing something diabolical, but it's just, a key understanding of this movie that's not very quote unquote comic booky, but a very detailed and descriptive understanding of what this comic book character is. And I've always loved that so much. Um, well, they do a lot of subtle um, descriptions or, or do a lot of subtle things to honor the Joker's history without like slapping you in the face with it. Like the multiple choice origins, because the first time he gave his speech about his wife and sticking the razor in his mouth, part of me was like, Oh, like that's weird. But then when he does it again about his father, the father's first, but it's like, yeah, I see what, I oh, I'm saying. sorry. The father's first. Like, I love that. It was like, Oh, okay. That's what they're doing. Like, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And then, also, like, I think traditionally you would say the Joker is trying to be funny or trying to get um, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, he's telling jokes sometimes traditionally in this movie. He's not a jokester. He's not trying to get a laugh. But damn it, if he's not getting one, like he's entertaining without trying to be. So it's it's like I say this term a lot. Nolan's kind of having his cake and eating it, too, where he's taking the character seriously. The character is not a joke, but he's like Ledger is 
is portraying so much charisma in the character in the role and he's just so entertaining that you can't even help but laugh sometimes at the sick things he's doing oh yeah and which i think honors that that the joke persona that improv moment where he's blowing up the hospital and it doesn't it doesn't Mm -hmm. go completely as he wanted to and he's sitting there pressing the button and (laughs) that always makes me laugh they could they could have lost that take. Like if he doesn't stay in the part and figure out a way to keep that scene going, like what would they have done? And it's so perfect for the Joker. It is. Or you said improv. How about, how about him clapping when they say commissioner? Gordon? Or, or there's just so much. I mean, the pencil trick is, is obviously one of the highlights. Mm -hmm. And, Um, And the moment that really, I love and it's so Joker, but it made me sad sitting in the theater because of the circumstances around the movie. I know exactly at the where end you're going when he's dangling this. from the roof or or from um, Batman's yes. grappling hook, and he says, "I or think destined. we're destined to do this forever." Because it choked me up in the theater. Because I wanted so badly to see more of this Batman and this Joker colliding you know, and, and what their future stories would be. And yes, it, not to make, not to, you know, take away anything from the death of Heath Ledger, because that is, you know, is terribly sad and it's unfortunate. Um, but we were robbed of so many, you know, future possible future performances uh, as the Joker of, and Heath Ledger. Well, selfishly, I'm, I'm with you there. Selfishly. I was mad at myself for selfishly being upset that, when he said that, I'm like, oh, we're not going to get that. Yeah. Like that was my first thought. And I, I know how terrible it is to think that because obviously the man's life is way more important than this, this role. But, but that goes, that was what, like it, it snapped me out of the movie. Like that, that's the, the one time that I was snapped out that, oh, this is a movie. But that goes to so and, much credit of how well he did in this role. Oh, there's only, so I forget, still even watching this movie, I forget that it's Seal Feather. The only time is that scene because it makes you think of that. Mm-hmm. And when he takes the mask off in the hospital, you could kind of see his face like a little bit, like you could see the, um like the more of the structure of his face in that scene for some reason, where he actually looks like Heath for a second. Well, and of course there's the moment where he doesn't have makeup on when he's, yeah, and for some reason that doesn't do it. Like I don't know why, <laughs> but like because to me that's just Joker without the makeup. But I, it's such a great performance. And this this podcast could very easily turn into the Chris Farley SNL sketch where it's like, hey, do you remember this? And you remember? Yeah, like, it could. We could just start like just naming off scenes because this is kind of what this movie would do. Um, but but I did want to talk about my one B really quickly. Um, so the ending speech from Jim Gordon when he's explaining to his son why they have to hunt Batman. I don't know why, but every time I watch the end of this movie, it it just brings me back to 2008 sitting in the theater at the end of this movie. And I just like every time I feel like this swell in my chest when the music Mm -hmm. is building and his speech is building and it crescendos into, you know, the dark night and the music kicks in at the end. And it's just like almost like it, a fist pump moment at the end of this kind of doom and gloom ending here. Um, Mm -hmm. Because Batman's ending in this movie is such a heroic ending. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I just, I love that speech. Uh, and sometimes I just listen to the clip on YouTube because I just love it so much. Um, so yeah, I did want to mention that. Um, well, it's such a, it's such a, a weird feeling because the minute that scene ended the, like we, I, I don't know how you felt, but I, it was like, Oh, like, so what's this, the next movie going to be? <laughs> and then, you know, it's a different argument for a different day about, where they went with rises, but it was not what everyone speculated because we thought we were going to get a film where the the police are hunting Batman. And that was where I was coming out of the theater. Like, Oh man, like what are they going to do next? And I'm not going to get into, you know, the rise of stuff, but I, I think that was such a cool way to end it because you're right. Like, and I think it's a fun conversation to have that Batman did lose at the end of this movie. Like he, he, he has to make that heroic sacrifice to find a way to somehow win with a lie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing rises did really well was to kind of turn that on its head. But I, I love that the Joker essentially wins at the end of this movie and Batman has to find a way to make it. So that's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to circle back though, because I think you wanted to speak a little bit about that moment you were talking about. The interrogation scene. Um, just that I think it's, it's one of the best, just the conversation they have Joker and Batman having a, a philosoph- philosophical conversation about why, you know, they're so alike. They're not as different as Batman wants to think they are. And these people will turn on you and you have your one rule, but tonight you're going to break it. Killing is making a choice. All these just unbelievable lines and just analysis of Batman as a character, the whole one rule thing. And Mm. I love the whole killing is making a choice. You're not going to physically kill someone, but you're going to have to make a choice of who dies. And that's the same thing as killing someone. And it's, and Batman just wailing on him and he's laughing. Like that scene is brilliant. There is nothing like it's, and if you're not paying attention, there's so much detail in what the Joker is saying in that scene, like mm-hmm. you could miss a ton of how brilliant his dialogue is. If you're just, you know, if you're just focusing on, you know, Batman beating up the Joker and the Joker kind of laughing at him, there's so much, uh, exposition, but brilliant mm-hmm. exposition in what the Joker is saying. It sets up the whole end of the movie. They'll cast you out like a leper. Mm-hmm. They do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, and I love the sound of this movie. Mm-hmm. The booming when he like is just pounding him uh, in the face, like the the booms every time. Like I, I still, I mean, this sounds great at home, but man, the the sound quality of everything, it just you feel those punches and the Joker just laughing as he's taking them. And if I remember correctly, Christian Bale's actually really hitting him, uh, like obviously not like as loud as we're hearing it, but you you feel those punches, you feel every punch. And I just, there's nothing better than the Joker laughing while Batman is hitting. him, saying like, there's nothing you can do. You can hit me all you want, Mm -hmm. but Uh, I'm winning for me. And I don't even think it's a hot take, but a lot of people have hot takes kind of against this. It's for me, it's the greatest Batman Joker scene ever put to screen. I agree. So, and and I don't even think it's even, I don't either. I don't either. And I've heard a lot of other options and no disrespect to them, but it hasn't been topped for me yet. No. 
Um, but let's again, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of the legacy of this movie, because I think it's so interesting that 15 years later, every time you hear a review for like a really good DC film or a really good comic book film overall, it's like this is the best DC film or this is the best comic book movie since The Dark Knight. That's always the bar. And, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen one yet where Variety or The Hollywood Reporter or any of those say this is a better movie than The Dark Knight. They never say that. It's this is the best since The Dark Knight. That's a good point. I never really thought about that, but that's a very good point. And it's just it goes to show you again the legacy that this movie has because it feels like all these years later, these movies are still trying to cross that bar or cross that threshold. And I don't know that it's a good idea to try to be better than this movie, Mm -hmm. but it's such a hurdle. I mean, and it's so interesting that Nolan, you know, and this is completely subjective, but, you know, according to everything that that happens every time a great comic book movie comes out, he almost made the perfect comic book movie. Well, and just to your point, like it's high regard to say this film is the best since the dark Knight. Nobody dares to say it might be better. <laughs> like that doesn't even come out of people's mouths. No, like that's not even mentioned in the, um, in any of these articles that you're mentioning, which is really funny. I never really even thought about that. Um, just things I'm thinking about real quick. Um, just to kind of spitball here. One thing I got to say about Nolan's films they age so well because he doesn't rely so much on the CGI and even the CGI that he uses. It's subtle. I'm sorry. Like it's, and like the helicopter going down is mostly CGI. It looks great still. Mm-hmm. Um, I still to this day cannot get over Harvey Dent's face. Um, oh yeah. Two faces effects are horrific <laughs> and, perfect like they i'm amazed at how great it looks still to this day i well and aaron eckhart puts uh, along with the effects he puts in such a good performance which is a shame that more people don't talk about it because of course you have the performance of heath ledger so he gets he gets a little overshadowed as does christian bale um but there's so many good performances in this film um i think you know, Jim Gordon in this film, the conflict that he's going through, he is so good. Gary Oldman just brings it as Jim Gordon, as does Aaron Eckhart as Two-Face. And unfortunately, you know, they have to contend with the the juggernaut that is Heath Ledger. Um, mm-hmm. But there's so many parts and pieces that just make this a nearly flawless film. So I have actually have a question for you. Have you ever noticed Gary Oldman kind of has a different performance of commissioner Gordon or Gordon, uh, Jim Gordon in each film. He does. Yeah. He, he sounds different in every film. I don't know if I've noticed that necessarily to me. It's like, he's he, I don't want to say he's playing three different parts, but he's very different in each film. Like, I don't know if he's changing his voice based on age or experience or what, but I feel like, I feel like he's very different, especially in the, in rises. But I notice he kind of plays the part a little differently in each film. And I'm not even saying it as a criticism. I think he's just playing it to whatever's happening on screen or, or what, you know, they're trying to portray. And I love his performance, but I, I just kind of noticed that he seems a little different in each film. Well, I, I think 
um, out of the three films, and I love him in Begins. I have a lot of issues with him in Rises. I think mm-hmm. this one is his best performance as Gordon. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love the conflict in him, especially on the roof near the end of the movie, um, where you know he's they're they're trying to find find out where Dent is, and you know yeah. he's just adamant. He's almost frothing, you know out of his mind, we have to save Dent. We have to save Dent. You know, this is, he, he, Oh, and then he says, I have, to I save have to Dent. save like Dent. He, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's at his wits and he, he blames himself for all of this. And, and that goes to like, I just want to get back to what you were saying about Aaron Eckhart, his performance in this. I, when I watched it this time, I really like, I don't know if it, it's kind of the first time I've really paid attention to watching this film since I've had both my children or what, but his turn in this is so brutal to go from who he is in the beginning of this film, the hopeful district attorney that is willing to do anything to end corruption in this city. He's, you know, he wants to get married to Rachel. He wants to do all this stuff to then be holding a gun to a little boy at the end of this film mm-hmm. is heartbreaking. Like you, you like how does this even happen all because of like they said one little push from the joker and look at where this guy has gone and it doesn't seem forced it does like it's so well done that you don't even question it by the end of this film and then last night i was really thinking like holy crap how is this the same guy that i was just watching in the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and he's so good and and gordon's performance in that scene too when he's telling his son it's going to be all right it hit me differently last night for some reason when watching it every you're right. Everyone, rightfully so, Heath Ledger is the star of this film. But the other actors and actresses in this should not be forgotten because everyone brings their A game in this, and a, especially Aaron Eckhart and and um, Gary Oldman in that t- scene in particular. And like you said, all those other scenes where they're really talking about the conflict between the two of them. It's again last night. I just really the the tragic story of two-face in this film hit me hard and i know people say like they they wish he survived i think the fact that he dies in this film makes it a complete film and makes it a complete uh, is that considered an arc or like a reverse arc i don't know what you would call that but it kind of puts the cap on his tragedy it does and and i i do wonder um I do wonder how different that would have gone had they known earlier that they were not going to have Heath Ledger going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you got to think that Nolan may have used Two-Face in the third movie. Um, But I mean, that's a, that's a hypothetical and you can't get caught up in that. And I think it would have hurt the impact at the end of the movie. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think the ending of this is what it needed to be for this film. And I think that's why Nolan does things the way he does is what's best for this film. Well, the Joker doesn't get killed because Batman defeats the Joker without killing him, but he then loses the big battle against Harvey Dent. I think that makes for this film being the best it could have been. And I, I love it. Yeah. And, and while we're talking about, uh, Dent and Gordon and Batman. I mean, thank you, Christopher Nolan, for giving us a scene of those three <laughs> on the roof of GCPD. Yep. I mean, and it's a short little clip, and it's right before Batman goes to Hong Kong. But I love seeing those three on the roof, you know, formulating a plan. 
And it's it's almost like you get the the complete you know you get that complete arc of Batman, Gordon, and Two Face in one movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because you get them working together to try to end corruption and crime in Gotham, and then you get the tragedy, and so you get it all in one film, which you know some directors could probably rush it and it wouldn't have as much impact, but that goes again to the mastery of Christopher Nolan. So, yeah, I mean, and and again, we could we could sit here and and shower praise on this movie for hours. Um, but well, I, one more thing I want to say, just because you mentioned Hong Kong and it just uh-huh. brought it to my attention, the humor in this film is so well done. There is a lot of like, I, I, I mean, very different. I don't humor. know if I want to say. I don't want to know if I want to say laugh out loud moments, but a lot of chuckle moments, a lot of fun moments, like the sonar, like a like a submarine, Mister Wayne. <laughs> like I love stuff like that in this movie, and. I probably didn't even get that when I first saw the movie because it's so subtle. But uh, if you could tell now, me the Russian for apply your own bloody suntan lotion. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of fun or like, um, you know, that was a, I remember it was the tag at one of the trailers, but like the bat pot in the middle of the day, not very subtle. You had the Lamborghini much more subtle. Yeah. Um, it, they've picked their spots because it is such a heavy film. There is still a little bit of levity in there. Um, Bruce Wayne, doing it up as Bruce Wayne. Um, even the part where he saves, is it Earl is the, the guy that's trying to out him. Oh, right. Oh, no, Earl is a, uh, is the CEO from the first movie. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who had the plans for the Batmobile. Yeah. yeah. He, um, but when he goes like, should I go to the hospital? You don't watch a lot of te- You don't watch a lot of news. Do you, Mr. Wayne? Like, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's subtle, but it's fun. Yeah, for sure. And I think I do appreciate some laugh out loud moments in comic book movies. Um, but this I, isn't that movie. It's though. not that movie. No. And and it's done well. I think the levity is, is placed well enough where it's not jarring. Um, mm-hmm. but it does give you a little bit of an uplifting moment in the, in the midst of all this tragedy and destruction and chaos. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Um, but I do want to talk about, you know, just, just kind of coming to, to kind of a close here on the legacy of the dark Knight. all these years later, I think everything that we see now that just continues to come around, um, this movie just will not go away. Um, and the trilogy as a whole at this point, uh, I think hot toys has their annual operating budget based on the sales of how many dark Knight toys they've done because <laughs> yeah, how, how many reissues and yeah. yeah. Um, it, I mean, there's just, con- I'm staring at a Lego tumbler right now and just, I mean, fun. I have a pops few and just, uh, Oh my goodness. The, the products for this movie that continue to come. I don't know if you've seen it, Joe, but there is a really cool Joker and Batman two pack uh, of the poster. Yes. Of the movie for Funko. And it's a new design for Batman pricey. and the Joker. It is a little pricey, but I mean, just it continues to this day. You, I don't think it'll ever stop. It's kind of like Batman 89 merch. I mean, it continues to cycle. And it, I think, again, it speaks to the popularity and the longevity of this movie. Um, so I guess kind of a fun little thing. Do you have a favorite piece of Dark Knight merch? Oh, that's a good question. So... I actually have, I have, oh, I can't just pick one. 
I have a really cool gift that someone gave me that is a film cell from the film um, mm. with a picture of the poster. Really cool. Just a little five by seven uh, like plaque type of thing. Um, but I have, it would be hard for me to pick anything else but my Hot Toys collection. Um, I mean, I have the original Harvey Dent Two-Face Hot Toys. I have the second version of Heath Ledger's Joker. It's like the DX2 or something. It comes mm-hmm. with the, the table from the um, from the interrogation scene. I have the Batpod. Um, I think my Batman is actually from Rises, but it's the same suit, so I'll consider that part of it. But I have so much stuff from The Dark Knight. Um, I do have a Heath Ledger Funko. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Joker Funko. I don't think that's worth anything. I just think it's cool to have stuff like that. Um, but if you had the one in the in the uh, bank robber mask in the clown mask, no, one, no, I don't have that. That one is extremely valuable. I'm trying to think of anything else that I have. I think that's it. It's just toys. I have all the Mattel toys, um, the movie masters. Gotcha. Yeah. So for me, there's a, a one of them is definitely a Funko Pop. Um, I have the, I think he's 10 inch. It's a really big oversized Joker. Um, Mm -hmm. I love that figure. He looks so cool. Um, And then I have an artist's print um, hand drawn. It's a, it's a drawing of Christian Bale and it's signed by the artist. I had him do it at a con and it's a beautiful drawing. Um, But that, I guess technically that is a Batman beginning. Begins piece because he's in the he's in the cowl from Begins, which uh-huh. he used at the beginning of of the Dark Knight. So I guess you could kind of count it. I love that continuity too, where they didn't just put him in a new suit. They had it had a had I know reasoning. it's 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 fun because nowadays when they do stuff like that, they're like, we don't need an explanation for everything. But back in the day, like that was really cool. Like you didn't get that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I would I think those are probably okay. He is ten inch, so my Joker is a is a big ten inch Funko Pop. Um, it's the okay. only one I have that's way oversized like that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of looking around my room right now to see like what I got. I have so what I used to do. This is before it's kind of like quote unquote illegal to do this, but before they like really cracked down on this, I used to print out pictures off um, like the poster prints. I used mm-hmm. to like take them to Walgreens and they would print them out for me. And I, I would make like, instead of having huge posters where I could only fit like a few, I would have them shrunk down to like eight by tens. And I have the, the great one of the Joker with his back turned is one of my favorite posters that they did. And I oh, have yeah. the one, I have the one with all three of them. Um, you know, Batman, Joker and Harvey Dent uh, across the, and, and that's like a landscape poster. Yeah. And, and that's another, so a Joker poster, that's another one of my favorite things that I have. I have a very out of the, out of the norm Joker poster for this movie. And it's the shot of him as he's kind of, he's putting, he had just put the pencil in the table for the pencil trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate, I, my roommate years later that I lived with got me this poster and it's kind of, it's got this fun green border around it. And it says, it says something like to the effect of, do you want to see a magic trick? <laughs> but it's just such an out of the ordinary piece of merch for this movie because it doesn't have mm-hmm. the logo splashed all over it or anything like that. Um, so yes. yeah, I just, I just love that piece. Um, but I'll post 
um, some of the things I have and I'll get you Joe to send me over some pictures so I can post it on the, on the Twitter. Um, but that's something okay. I I'm, I'm curious for the listener. Send us, send us pictures of, of collectibles or just some of your favorite things from the dark night. Um, and I'd also love to hear like some of your favorite moments. If you have any, um, just reach out to us, let us know. Um, but yeah, Joe, I, I I guess, is there, is there anything else that you, I know there's a ton of things that when we're done, we're going to be like, damn it. I wish I'd have brought that up. Um, but if, yeah, I mean, as far as the movie itself, it's hard to touch on everything. I don't, I mean, we didn't even touch on the, the, um, the fairy, uh, the fairy scene, which I love. I think it's a brilliant ending. And I am one of the ones that says, I think the Joker gave them the, the detonator to their own boat. I think that's the joke there, but mm-hmm. we never get confirmation one way or the other because the people on the boat, um, on both boats win. And I, I love the fairy scene. I think it's really cool. And I like that conversation that can be brought to us from that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's got its detractors now that don't think it quite works, which is interesting to me because I had not heard that until like the last few years, but I love. I don't understand. I have a hard time understanding what doesn't work. Like it's one thing to say I'm not crazy about it, but I don't understand what doesn't work about it. I, I don't either. Um, yeah. But yeah, my I question mean, for you would uh-huh. be: How many versions of this movie do you own? The movie itself. Um, like, do you remember like the first time you bought the film? Yeah, the first time was that DVD deluxe edition. Um, but I do, I'm one of these people. I oh, do wait, have... of, of the dark Knight. Oh, the dark Knight. Um, yeah. No. So that was the... Batman begins. The dark Knight came out on Blu-ray right away. Yeah. The first one I had would have been the Blu-ray the year it came out. Okay. And it was, um, it was the, the deluxe edition that had the bat pod on top. Yeah. Oh, the... okay. I forgot. I do have that one. I forgot. I have that one. Yeah. Um, so, I have, but that I'm, one I'm one of those that has the rule, which I know you don't follow whatsoever. Yeah, I do you... not. <laughs> if I get a updated copy, I do just for room and space. I do get rid of the old copy. So, which sometimes comes up to bite me in the butt. Um, but yeah, so now I do just have the dark Knight trilogy 4k set. Did you get rid of the bat pod? I did. I don't even, oh. I, I got rid of that. I got rid of the broken mask from rises, which I regret oh, no, as well. You're killing me. Yeah. That breaks so, my heart. I know. I know. <laughs> And then I look at eBay prices and I'm like, gosh, that was stupid. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm telling you, I still have my HD DVD version of Batman Begins, which is uh, worth nothing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but um, so I funny story. I actually. The day before the Dark Knight came out on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. I took what we call a call out at work, which means if I work through the night, I get off the next day paid um it was called rest period (laughs) so i i literally and i never took those like i i hated doing that but um i took one that night so i could then be off the next day and go by the dark night and watch it on blu-ray that day without work so i remember specifically take making sure i was off that day i was like perfect timing to take one of those calls because they didn't happen very often but i i got one and I made sure I got it. So I own that was the day I got just the regular, um, the regular two disc Blu-ray with the special features. I got the Bat Pod later, and mm. I now own 
the two I own two different steelbooks, and I have the Nolan 4K set, which included Dark Knight. So I, I have a bunch of different versions of this. But um yeah, I have the steelbook with the bat pod, and then the other one I think is the poster with the the beautiful poster with the the bat logo in the skyline or the um you know with the building behind Batman. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Joe, um, so I think that's a good place to kind of, I like, good question. I enjoyed that. Uh, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Um, so just to throw it to you one more time, did you have any kind of final thoughts on 15 years of this epic, iconic movie? I can't believe it's been 15 years. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about like, did you see this in IMAX? Like, did you get to go see this in IMAX at all? No, like I said, I mean, it was just that. You just saw it uh, that one time? I just saw it in theaters. Uh, now, I've seen it on a re-release in a bigger theater since, but I've never gotten okay. the chance to see this in IMAX. This is the first film I ever saw in IMAX. I went to see this in a, a full IMAX theater. At the time, I believe this theater that I saw it in was 70 millimeter. It no longer is, but I did see this in a 70 millimeter uh, IMAX theater. Um, at Rises the time, was my first in IMAX okay at the time I don't think I appreciated it enough because it was my first one I just thought it was cool but I didn't like really take in the nuance of it <laughs> like mm-hmm. I would now but um, I saw this three or four times in the theater nice and uh, yeah but yeah, I, I still remember going to see this each time I saw it and and th- yeah the experience of this film and and it's like you said it's legacy it, it's something really, really special. Uh, I love going back and revisiting this trilogy as a whole, but I think mm. if I'm, it's hard because I, I will go back and watch this by itself. I'll go back and watch Batman Begins by itself, but I like watching all three of them together. Like I just watched this the other night. It's going to be hard for me to not put on the Dark Knight Rises in the next couple of days because I feel like you just kind of have to keep going. But you have to, yeah, yeah. I, especially since I did start with Batman Begins, but it, I, I love this trilogy for everything we've said about it. I love how you said we could watch all three films and just get a complete story. I don't have to worry about like, oh, I'm kind of skipping this one because I really don't need to see this. But even though there is a little bit, like we talk about, like everyone always talks about, what's the greatest trilogy? in comic book history and they'll say like the captain America trilogy. And I'm like, that's not a trilogy because you have to watch four other films to get the whole story. And like, <laughs> like that's not a trilogy to me. This is a trilogy. This is a full trilogy with nothing else involved. Even the Batman with Matt Reeves, if that ends up being a trilogy, well, you're going to have the penguin series. You're going to have other stuff. I don't think we're ever going to get a true three movies, full story. That's it. And I love it for that. I know people use it as almost a criticism now, but I I disagree. I love it for what it is. It's something special. It's almost going to become like a time capsule in the way it did that. And I I just, I love it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if you ask me what my favorite Batman movie is, it's still for me, Batman Begins. That is yeah, my me favorite. Too. That is still my favorite Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a comic book movie as a whole, it very well may be The Dark Knight. Um, and I know that's strange and it's it's a it's a hard <laughs> distinction. Um, mm-hmm. and I can't I can't explain it outside of that other than what I remember the summer of two thousand eight being 
and how huge this movie was and the impact that it had on the genre going forward and kind of breaking that glass ceiling for comic book movies. Um, and the performances in it are just unbeatable and it's an all timer and it always will be. Um, and yeah, just as I said, just it, it being the centerpiece of this trilogy, this, this complete story I, I love that so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, accolades on top of accolades and there's nothing I can say that can, <laughs> that can improve the accolades of this movie, but it's just, I can't believe it's 15 years old. That makes me feel incredibly old already. Um, yeah. and I know before we know it, it'll be 25 years old. So, uh, but yeah, it's, there's nothing else I can say uh, on top of everything that we've already said today, other than this, this movie is very near and dear to me and I'll always appreciate it. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, that's, that's our look back at 15 years of the dark Knight and how iconic it is. Uh, but Joe, this one's been fun. Um, I wasn't, I, I, like I said before, I was a little nervous about doing this one, but I think, I think we had a blast talking about this movie and I always appreciate coming coming on to talk to you about these things. Um, so thank you for coming on again. And why don't you tell everybody where they can find you out there on social media? Well, thank you. And yeah, this was a blast. Um, it's, it's cool that we get to, to go back and talk about these films for the first time on here. Um, and we'll feel even older in two years when we celebrate the, uh, the 20th anniversary of Batman begins. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at J411. I am not on threads. I'm not making that leap yet. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Very nice. Uh, well, I am on threads, um, so you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Threads at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Threads at TFRBatPod. Once again, if you'd like to send us an email, that email address is TFRBatPod at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on whatever your podcasting platform of choice is. If you leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. If you're looking for another way to support us, and we don't ask that you spend any money on this show, but if you'd like to, we'd greatly appreciate that. You can go to redbubble.com and find our logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of awesome merchandise there. Our theme music was created by the very talented Gaurav Venkateswar. His music can be found on gbtunes.com. So for myself and Joe, this has been our coverage of the 15th anniversary celebration of The Dark Knight. So make sure you get out there and have some fun celebrating this movie. And until next time, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointing sky.
Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in! Go, go! Move! He didn't do anything wrong. Because it's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. He's not our hero. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. 